0: Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Well, it is a great pleasure to welcome back to Valley Point Church Dr. Modica. He is a friend of Valley Point and certainly an encourager. You were with us back in April. And it's great to have him here as we close out the month of June. Dr. Modica makes us think. And if you were here in April or you heard him last year or even the year before that, you know he makes us think. He always has something interesting to say and that is challenging to us, which is great. He's going to talk to us today about the first fruit of the Spirit, love, from Galatians chapter 5. Last week I introduced the series. You may remember I threw out a challenge. I want everybody to memorize Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. How are you doing with memorizing the words? All right, not a lot of enthusiasm around that. So know that next week when I teach, there will be a quiz. So you've got a few more days to think through those words and memorize the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and you keep working on it, all right, as I will. Dr. Modica is the university chaplain and associate professor of biblical studies at Eastern University in St. David's, Pennsylvania. But here's the deal. I have new information to share with you about him. And I asked for this, so I'm not saying anything he didn't say. You know, this is okay. So besides being the chaplain and being a professor at Eastern University, go Eagles. Okay. Just wanted to throw that out there. Besides all of that, he and his wife, Marianne, have been married for 37 years, so congratulations on that. They met in college in Queens, New York, and have just a wonderful family as well. He has four adult children, three boys, and a girl, two, and these are his words, wonderful grandchildren. Of course they are, right? Two wonderful grandchildren from his oldest son, Ben, and his wife, Molly. Olivia soon will be five, and then Joseph will soon be a year old. So young grandkids, how fun is that? He said he's not much of a shore or a beach person, so perhaps some of you can persuade him to think in a different way on that, I'm not sure, but he does enjoy visiting baseball stadiums, so you're a big baseball fan, that's a great thing. He shared with me that when his father was alive, Dr. Modica's younger brother and youngest son and father traveled to about nine different baseball stadiums. So that's a great memory I'm sure you shared together. Here's a little-known fact. Dr. Modica attended the same high school in Brooklyn that Vince Lombardi, Joe Torre, and Frank Serpico attended. How about that? So we're amongst Italian royalty today. I think that's the thing. And none of those guys were available to speak at Valley Point. Dr. Modica was, and I'm glad. Will you help me give a warm Valley Point welcome to Dr. Modica?
1: (laughs) Well, let me make an offer you can't refuse. No. Well, good morning, and thank you uh, for that kind introduction as well as Um, for your wonderful welcome when I come each time. It's amazing. It's been a few years that I've been here each summer, and um, it's a wonderful opportunity to reconnect with you and to be welcomed. And that is a Christian discipline that you don't always find in other communities, about a a hospitable welcome, feeling connected even if you're not someone who is worshipping each and every Sunday Sunday. With you, So thank you for making me feel welcome each and every time that I come. Also, thank you for reminding me to get lifesavers for my granddaughter. <laughs> I will do that. She loves lifesavers, the fru- fruity lifesavers there. Well, uh, this morning we're going to move into a conversation of something that I think is so important in the Christian life is what uh, Pastor Kohler began with regards to the fruit of the Spirit. And so my question for us, particularly the one I was tasked with, is love, that really, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? And I'm going to have the worship team (laughs) come back, and they are prepared to do Tina Turner's 1984 number one single, What's love got to do with it? No, they're not actually coming up, but, you know, it's an interesting song. It's one that I think captures the essence of our cultural understanding of love. I know there are many songs about love. This one came to mind uh, because of its notoriety in the 80s. It was the number one song for Tina Turner. It won a Grammy. It's actually listed as one of the most 500 rock and roll influential songs of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. This song, What's Love Got to Do With It? Well, what does she say about love here? Well, the refrain is telling. So she says, What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. Who needs a heart? when a heart can be broken again understanding love is a twofold um, approach one is we have to understand what our culture teaches us about love and we know that probably intuitively because we live in culture and we hear about love we sing love songs we we realize that there's a prevailing notion about love which we're going to talk a little bit about today but there's also another, another important aspect. It's not just understanding what the definition of biblical love is just say in comparison to cultural love, but here's another question or a concern. Recently, uh, a pastor of a large United Methodist Church in Kansas, Adam Hamilton wrote a book, When Christians Get It Wrong. And when you see a title like that on the bookshelf, I'm drawn to that book. I'm drawn to that book. You know, let me just say this. Christians get a lot of things right. But I'm drawn to Adam Hamilton, who I really encourage you to look him up. He's got a wonderful website. He's, he's a person who's trying to bring together people of disparate understandings about politics and sexuality and other types of issues in Christianity. But his first chapter was really telling to me. His first chapter is entitled When Christians Are Unchristian. That's the title of the chapter in this book. And what he's drawing from is another book called Unchristian by Dave uh, Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman, Unchristian. You may have known of this book. And what he's saying is is that we have a love problem. We have a love problem, meaning when people ask but when people are asked, when you hear the word Christian, what are some things that come to mind? And these are people that are not Christians. There are people who understand the word Christian in a certain way. And basically what, he, what is, is discovered is this. There are six attributes that one begins to see with regards to Christian. Christians are hypocritical, number one. Too focused on getting converts, number two. Three, anti-homosexual. Four, sheltered, old-fashioned, boring, out-of-touch reality. Five, too political. And last but not least, six, judgmental. Now, this is a perception, and perceptions are not always true, but as we become salt and light in the community, we need to begin to understand those perceptions, for some people, are realities. And this is what the book concludes, both unchristian and Adam. Hamilton's chapter, he says, when asked, now these are people who are not Christians, when asked what is the greatest gift that Jesus has given to our world, they answer it in one, que- one word, love, love. So the question this morning for us is, why do we have such a love problem sometimes? Now again, I think we oftentimes understand love in a very much of a conceptual way, and that's fine. You know, we have our ideas about love, but I wonder if Jesus is a little bit disappointed with our love problem. So this morning, what I'd like to do just in a few minutes is to try to help us and help myself understand the fruit of the Spirit and what this love is involved with. So Pastor Cola did a wonderful exposition last week of Paul's letter to the Galatians. So if you have a Bible or a device, turn with me to the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians. This is Paul's letter. St. Paul wrote a number of different letters in the New Testament. Some have said perhaps as many as 13 letters. 13 letters is attributed to one person. And 13 is almost half of 27, which are the actual documents in the New Testament. So one person is responsible, perhaps, for writing nearly half of what we call the New Testament. So it's important that we understand what Paul is writing about as best as one can. Now, here's another thing, too. I think Galatians, this this little letter, is probably the earliest chronological document we have of the New Testament, meaning it's really early. It's one that Paul wrote right after his first missionary journey, which is really early. I don't want to get too complicated here, but if you were to chronologically date the documents of the New Testament, the Gospels, even though they're listed first, would not be dated first. They come much later in the formulation. What's early in the New Testament, if you want to know what's happening on the ground, it is the letters of Paul. Paul is a missionary going out, trying to preach the Gospel, in a very pluralistic world, wrestling with issues. So it's interesting that this is probably the earliest chronologically dated document in the New Testament. So what is going on here? And Pastor Cola last week did a wonderful, uh, made a wonderful comment, says that this is a letter that's going to real people in real situations, in real churches. Galatia was, and still is, in Asia Minor. It's not a city or a town, it's really a province. So Paul is writing what we might call an encyclical letter, a letter that's to be circulated to help believers wrestle with what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. What is it to be in relationship with the risen Messiah? So he writes this letter, and it circulates throughout Galatia, Asia Minor, all these providences, and people are copying the letter, they're reading the letter, they're trying to understand what's going on. And Paul says, there's a problem that I want to address in the letter, And you can see this in the first chapter, Galatians chapter 1. He says, some of you I've heard are following a different gospel. A different gospel. I've preached the word to you about belief in Jesus by faith for salvation. And I'm hearing about a different gospel. And what is this different gospel? Paul is concerned about people adding things to the gospel, requirements to the gospel. People that add things to the gospel. Meaning they make it a little bit more difficult to become a Christian because it's not simply faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, but you have to do X, Y, and Z. And that's dangerous, to say the least. As a matter of fact, Paul gets very sarcastic in the letter and says, don't you be adding anything? And, and what scholars have thought is maybe there were people trying to add back some of the Jewish elements, right? Some of the things like circumcision, dietary laws, things that were, because Christianity started as a Jewish movement in essence, that people were trying to add back those kinds of requirements. It reminds me when my wife became a Christian. Um, I mentioned we met in college in Queens and she became a Christian in her teens, growing up in in queens and she uh, came to know Christ and began to attend the church, which, which was wonderful and Then she went to a membership class and for the membership class, they had a series of different classes and then she would have to uh, would have to um, uh, not do these certain things as part of what men- membership of the class. So there was uh, obviously no drinking, no smoking, right? Um, there were no uh, Broadway or going to the movies. That's, now that's hard when you grow up in New York right, with Broadway and things like that. But there was one thing, too, that I found really interesting. No bowling. No bowling. <laughs> they, they couldn't bowl. And I'm thinking, what the? No bowling? Do you know why you can't bowl back in the 70s? When you were a Christian? Not because, you know, you, if you hit the pins too hard that you could be aggressive of some sort. It's because bowling alleys have bars, alcohol, right? Now you think that's a terrible requirement, right? Um, but you can see that even we can add things to the gospel that make it more difficult for people to believe in Jesus, because we add all these things together. Paul is about not adding things to the gospel. He wants the gospel to be about faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And with that comes, we're going to get to the fruit of the Spirit, with that will come the development of character by walking with the Spirit. Do you follow what I'm saying here? It's not about adding requirements for people to look more holy which sometimes if you don't play cards, you don't dance. That was another one, too, no dancing. Now, I'm an Italian-American, right? So when you go to a wedding and you don't dance, people don't like you. (laughs) They don't even believe you're Italian if you don't do certain things. But I don't want to digress. But the point being, when we try to add requirements, uh, that gets in the way of actually walking by the Spirit. It actually gets in the way in what God wants to do as we know that fruit takes time and character takes time. And Paul wants us to believe that the fruit of the Spirit is something that is done by God with our cooperation. It's done by God with our cooperation. Okay, so let me make a couple observations and we'll get right to the verse at hand. Galatians 5, and 23. I'm using the New Revised Standard Version, but let me just read the text. By contrast, the Apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Now, a couple of observations. Don't confuse the fruit of the Spirit for spiritual gifts. That's very important. Don't confuse those two. Um, everyone is, has a spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4 speaks about the spiritual gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. These are gifts to build up the body of Christ. You all have at least one, some of more, and you're gonna u- you should use them for the edification of the body. Um, but fruit is, is non-negotiable. We all have to grow fruit. So, I was, when I was pastoring a church many years ago, we did a spiritual gifts inventory. And I can remember Richard, who filled out the inventory, was so delighted. And I thought, oh, he really got a lot out of it. He said, oh, Pastor Joe, I am so grateful. I did my spiritual gifts inventory, and I don't have the gift of being an evangelist, so I don't have to share the gospel with anyone, because I'm very nervous about that. I said, Richard, you missed the whole point, and I am not a very good pastor. Uh, Because I guess you got confused that a spiritual gift is one thing, but sharing the gospel is like fruit, right? It's it's about our lives in Christ as we share our lives with other people. That's non-negotiable, so don't confuse those two there. Fruit and trees and, and that metaphor, if you take Genesis through Revelation, fruit and trees, that metaphor for spiritual maturity is everywhere. I'm not going to have time to unpack it, but that's an important metaphor for spiritual maturity. Psalm 1 talks about trees and bearing good fruit in season. We could take a look at Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says in chapter 7 in Matthew, you will know a good tree and a bad tree by what it produces. Good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce no fruit or bad fruit. Even Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, reminds us that trees and fruit are very, very important. One thing, too, that when I was reading this text, and I really want to commend again um, Christopher Wright's book, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, I've read through this book. I am so glad that Valley Point Church values reading beyond the Bible. Now, the Bible is critically important for reflection and for edification and for maturation— But people like uh, Chris Wright, who's an Old Testament scholar, who's written a number of books, um, this is a very helpful tool. And if you haven't purchased it yet, I really encourage you to use this as your summer reading, along with the sermon series. an excellent, excellent book on that. I want to talk a little bit about the logic of Galatians 5, 22, and 23. The logic is... that uh, an apple tree can only produce apples, right? We would agree, and a pear tree can only produce pears. We don't have a tree necessarily that can produce at the same time apples, pears, and just say oranges, right? It's one type of tree that produces a certain type of fruit. So this is going to be helpful, I hope, in our understanding of the concept of love. Because we can get confused... When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, to think that we can pick and choose which ones we do well, right? Have you ever th- said, well, listen, if there's nine fruit, and I do five of them okay, I'm, I'm fine. That's great. That's more than 50%. That's like 60%. I'm really," Or some of you say, well, you know, I never was good with gentleness. Maybe I'll just kind of forget about it. We don't have that kind of choice in that. The word fruit in Galatians is singular. It's singular which is odd. Paul could have said the fruits of the spirit are blah, 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 blah. He says the fruit of the spirit. So I think we need to think about this slightly different. Now, uh, this is not novel to me, but I just want to introduce to you as you're studying this the entire summer to begin thinking about how important the ranking of these uh, fruit are, and particularly the first one. So Let's take a look at what I would consider punctuation. That's so important. Okay, so take a look. Uh, oh, can we go back to Owen? Yeah. So think about the importance of commas. Can save lives. If you read that carefully, <laughs> it means two. Di- right? It means two different things because of where you place the comma or not. Right? Let's eat, Grandpa, and let's eat, Grandpa. All right. Now, I'm going to suggest that we need to insert a punctuation mark in Galatians 5, to 23. In the New Testament, it wasn't written in English, as you know. It was written in the Greek language, the language of Alexander the Great, and this is how documents circulated. Paul's writing in Greek, these letters circulating. So punctuation wasn't necessarily a strong suit of the Koine Greek language. They had some punctuations, like question marks you could do, but not necessarily colons. I mean, they had some ways of doing that. But I want to suggest, because of the word fruit singular and because of the ranking, this is what I would like us to think this morning very briefly as we read Galatians 5, 22, and 23. So what I'm suggesting, what I'm suggesting is there's one tree, and it's a tree of love, which all these other fruit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control flow from that, flow from that. They're not separate. They're all connected back to love. It's almost as if you can think of it as love, joy, love, peace, love, patience, love, kindness, etc. Love is critically important because without love, Everything else is kind of wallpaper. It's not really something that's going to change the dynamics of a person's life. We need to really wrap our minds around this concept of love and why Paul starts with that and why Paul says there's really the fruit of the Spirit rather than the fruits of the Spirit. Let me say this. In the Christian tradition, and you know this, when you read First John's letter, particularly chapter 4, for Christians, we believe God is love. God is love. first, uh, first John 4, 8, and 16 speak about whoever does not know, the lo- uh, know God, for God is love. For we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And for those who abide in love, abide in God, God abides in them. We believe, friends in the Christian tradition, that God is not a loving person, or God doesn't extend love in that sense. God is love. I don't know if you can tease out the difference. The essence of who God is, is love. There's nothing that God doesn't love, right? This is a kind of love that we can only imagine what it looks like to, not, to love everyone and everything, regardless of the circumstances, right? God, in essence, is love. And in the Christian tradition, that's what we believe. It's not as if love is one of the many attributes of God, although God shows who God is in the Old Testament by different characteristics, but at the core of who God is, God is love. 1 John 4, God is love. And so we have a problem in our language in English because we can use the word love simply as we can say, I love chocolate, I love my family, and I love God. Do you see the problem with that? Same word, same word, but different meanings accordingly. I want to introduce this morning here, on our next slide, C.S. Lewis for a moment. And he's been very helpful. As a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about C.S. Lewis, two things, and then we'll be done for this morning, to help us to begin to wrap our minds around this concept of love, and how to begin to produce it in our lives, more of it in our lives, as fruit, as fruit. Just like a tree, it has to take time to bear fruit. It is a a journey, character takes time. Many of you know of C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia, and perhaps even from his classic Mere Christianity, but I encourage you to read C.S. Lewis on a variety of different topics because of his wisdom. Um, He is someone who came out of a... Uh, an agnostic background, and then came to Christ and in ways that allow us to understand that he was an English professor, but he could write wonderful apologetics of the Christian faith, and he was someone who could think well and believe well, and those were not mutually exclusive that he could think and believe and learn to love well. so the four loves right Lewis speaks about, and we 're not going to have time to unpack these. But in the Greek language, as you probably know, you have four different words that can be translated love. One involves affection, perhaps between, just say, a parent and a child. Another one is friendship, between two friends. The other one is erotic love, right, sexual love. And then fourthly, Lewis says, there's the love, what he calls charitable love. Charitable love, or this love that gives selflessly, It gives selflessly. It's charitable love. It's unconditional love. And that's the word Paul uses to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. It's this agape. You've heard the word agape, maybe in various different ways. It is an unconditional love. It's a love that is selfless. It's not a love that wants. It's a love that gives. It's a love that only can be at the essence of who God is because God is love. And God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins and for the sins of the world and for all of creation so that we could be made whole. We can experience shalom. That's all driven by charitable love, C.S. Lewis says. Love that knows no bounds. Love that is not conditional based on circumstances. Right. I know for myself, that's one I wrestle with, right? It's so easy to love people that you know have potential to love you back, (laughs) right? It's so hard, however, to love people that may never love you back. And I think for the Christian, the fruit of the spirit of love is about the charitableness of love. Love not as an emotion, not as something self-centered, not as a form of therapy, right? It's about giving of yourself because that is the essence of who God is. So Frederick Beekner says this about love. So let me show you, uh, I'll show you a bowl of fruit and what I think is for the next slide I think we have. So when you think about the series, um, I want you to think about the fruit of the spirit, of course, but i want you to know that it's nestled in the bowl of love if you want to use that image that if you don't know how to love or that fruit isn't growing nothing else is going to happen that's my contention right could you i mean i think sometimes people might want to work on joyfulness but if you have no love then it's vacuous right you can you can work on gentleness by maybe mimicking something or doing something to try to help you or maybe reading a book about gentleness or going on a retreat, which is the topic of gentleness. You know, five easy ways to become gentle. I mean, right? I mean, we can do that, but nothing matters unless it's motivated and flows from love because then it becomes almost a prop. It becomes a spectacle. It becomes something we do, but not what we're becoming. See, the fruit of the Spirit... The essence is everything that we do has to be anchored in this unconditional love that we extend to others. This is what Frederick Buechner says about love, and this is my conclusion here because I don't know how to do this entirely, right? Right? If I, I mean, we could spend our entire lifetime talking about how do we learn how to love God and our neighbor, the two greatest commandments of Jesus, Right? You might say that Christianity can be boiled down, if you wanted to, boil it all down, to say, what does it mean to be a Christian? I would say two things. Loving God and loving neighbor. Wow, that really makes my Bible reading a lot easier. Because you only have to remember those two things. right? Huh? I mean, right? The, the question is, Knowing how to do that is a lifetime pursuit because that's how fruit is developed, but it must be something that we do in partnership with the Spirit. So here's who we have a responsibility. It doesn't happen just because you pray hard or you you say, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year and then I'm going to do different translations each year. I mean, it's not simply mechanical as much as it is a, a partnership with God. We must learn how to partner with the Spirit in helping us grow this fruit. It doesn't come naturally. We don't naturally love our enemies, right? Think about the person who irritates you most, right? right? Think of Thanksgiving. No, but, um, <laughs> right? Think about someone you dislike, someone you've had difficulty with. No, and it could be parent and child. It could be neighbor. It could be someone at work. We don't naturally yearn to love them. That does not come as a natural outworking of who we are. It has to be a work of the Spirit. So here's where I'm going with this, and I'm going to use C.S. Lewis one more time, and this is going to sound odd. This is the application. This is going to sound odd because you won't believe me, but if you just work with the concept, I think, I think it works because I'll give you an example of how it worked in my life. So two things to help us grow in the fruit of the spirit of love, which is the essential fruit. If I was going to rank these fruit, love is the first one in the list. That's the one that everything else flows from. So here it is. First thing is, for Paul, he doesn't believe that Christianity can be, can be lived apart from community. So if you're struggling with learning how to love someone, be sure you come to church every Sunday. <laughs> and be part of a community, right? This is the hardest thing to get through to millennials because sometimes the church has not always been the place in which they have seen a lot of love, so how are they going to come and then learn about love to help them love people they don't love, if you follow that logic, (laughs) right? That's what Adam Hamilton, when Christians get it wrong. But you know what this is, what we're doing this morning This is like a laboratory. We should be practicing, practicing loving each other. It's a good place to start. This is a safe place. I'm sure uh, many of you know each other. I'm sure many of you love each other. But there may be some people you dislike even here. I know that's hard to believe. Maybe there's people, particularly those that you're not sitting near because you don't want to make eye contact. There was a term, you, know, you said something, what they're wearing, what they're, you know, whatever that bothers you this morning. But Jesus, number one, Jesus wants us to work firstly on how we love one another. Jesus says loving the world, loving people in the world means nothing unless we learn how to first love each other. Read John 14 through 17, the farewell discourse. Jesus is emphatic. That I 'm teaching you that you need to love first each other. You have to learn how to work out who we are in a loving relationship with each other. So it has to be done in community. So don't go home and try to learn how to love by yourself, in your room as you kind of contemplate uh, large ideas, which is not a bad thing, but you can't do it by yourself. Now here's the second thing. And this is from CS.. Lewis, and I 'm going to read a quote that I want you to follow with me. It's from C.S. Lewis's "Mere Christianity in a chapter he calls, Let's Pretend. Let's Pretend. Let me just put up the slide here, which is the final slide. All right. Here's Lewis's concept. When you were a child, perhaps, I know I did this, I wound up sometimes putting on my dad's overcoat and try to put on his tie. He was a salesperson. And I wanted to put on adult clothes, because I was pretending to be my father. I was pretending to be an adult, right? And sometimes I would find his shoes, which were much bigger than I, you know, and I would wear them, and I would put on the jacket, put on his fedora, and try to act like my father, right? So Lewis says, dressing up like that is maybe the way we should think about how we learn how to love people we don't like, (laughs) all right? Follow the logic here. Sometimes he says, we have to pretend to like people we don't like. We actually have to go out of our way to say, "Today I don't like you, but I'm going to pretend I do. I'm going to actually fake it. Fake it till you make it." That's not Lewis, that's Modica. Um, <laughs> now, at first, when I read that from C.S. Lewis, I wrote in the column, "That's what a phony. This is phony. You can't do this. You mean, I, I mean I'm trying to be such a, a congruent. I'm trying to be such a follower of Jesus. They're so transparent and authentic. And then I had a conflict with a faculty member at the university a number of years ago. A real conflict. It happened on graduation line. Um, it did. The baseball team, I promised the baseball team, the men's baseball team, that if they got into the playoffs that I would wear their a batting helmet during commencement instead of my regalia cap. Right? That was a promise. Lo and behold, I didn't think they were going to make it, actually, but you gotta, you got to do what you promised. So they wound up getting into the playoffs. And, say, and so the captain of the team came the day before graduation with a batting helmet. He said, Dr. Mordico, remember what you said. If we get into the playoffs, then you would wear the Eastern University uh, batting helmet, and you would wear that as you res- uh, process into commencement, sit on the platform, and so forth. I said, you know, you're right. I did, and I will. I will. And uh, so Saturday morning, commencement comes. I put on the batting helmet, the big E for Eastern University, and I'm standing with my robe and my hood, and everything's going pretty well there. And even faculty say, yeah, good job. But there was one faculty member um, that had a real problem with what I was doing. And it got uh, a little contentious as we're moving towards the graduation to the platform. So Lo and behold, um, the couple of faculty members kind of got in between us. Not that we were going to fight each other. <laughs> but I am, I was born in Brooklyn and I still carry some of that uh, DNA with me, right? <laughs> I have to be multiple to be converted because sometimes I don't, you know, I can just say, what the heck are you talking about? You know, but so what happened is after that time, I didn't like this person very much. Uh, it was embarrassing to me. You know, I didn't like. Him. Now he's been retired for a number of years, so. But I said to myself, I don't like him. I really don't like him. Matter of fact, I really, really don't like him. And that's what I, that was just driving home from commencement. <laughs> and then I felt a week went by, and I and I kept knowing I would have to meet him and so forth. And I said to myself, and it wasn't because of me; it was because of C.S. Lewis. I said, I'm going to have to learn how to love this guy. I I don't know how to do it because. Everything in my body says he was a jerk, what is he doing, this and so Okay. So I decided when the semester in the fall began that I would, every time I saw him, I would invite him for a cup of coffee. Now, that was very difficult because he said yes. <laughs> I was praying he would say no, actually. And I pretended to like him for the fall semester after commencement. And we had coffee, and I didn't even know what I was talking about, what he was talking about, how, how was your summer? And I kept doing it and doing it. Semester goes by, another semester. Then about the middle of the spring semester, I just didn't harbor that type of resentment fr- uh, to him. I was hurt at one time, but I learned by pretending what it meant to try to love him. Right? He retired. We hadn't seen each other for three years. And then this last November, we were at the same conference together. This is where biblical scholars hang out. (laughs) We don't always love each other. but And he came up to me and gave me a hug. Now, that was unprovoked. I don't know what it was. Do I love him? Yes. He's a brother in Christ. Did I have to pretend my way to get there? Absolutely. I could have easily avoided him for the rest of my life, and I would have felt vindicated at some level. This is what C.S. Lewis says, and I'll end with a prayer, and uh, the worship team will come back up. This is C.S. Lewis. This is not Joe Modica. I just think it's so compelling what Lewis says here. This is on his chapter, Let's Pretend, in Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis writes, What is it good of pretending to be what you're not? Well, even on a human level, you know, there are two types of pretending. First, there is the bad kind, where the pretense is there instead of the real thing, as when a man pretends he's going to help you instead of really helping you. But there's also a good good kind of pretending, where the pretense leads up to the real thing. When you're not feeling particularly friendly, but know you ought to be, the best thing you can do very often is to put on a friendly manner and behave as if you were a nicer person than you actually are. (laughs) And in a few minutes, as we have all noticed, you will really be feeling friendlier than you are. Very often, the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. That is why children's games are so important. They're always pretending to be grown-ups, playing soldiers, playing shop, but all the time... They are hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so, so that the, the pretense of being grown-ups helps them to grow up in earnest, in earnest. I want you to pretend this week with someone. Find someone that you need to build, and uh, you need to grow the fruit of love and pretend. Pretend. and see what the Spirit will do in your life. As you, as you walk by the Spirit, as more fruit of love will be produced so that these other attributes will continue to grow. I also want to encourage you, as, as Pastor Cole said, to continue to memorize Galatians 5, 22, and 23. I'm sorry if I, I used a different translation, I think, so uh, don't memorize the New Revised Standard Version. Do whatever version it is. Review your life verse which I thought was really important, your life verse, that I actually came a little bit early and and looked at those life verses, beautiful, about living into the verse that you chose for your life for this year, and then commit to the reading plan in your program. Commit to the reading plan. What's love got to do with it? Everything. It has everything to do with it. Let's pray together. Lord, in your name we come this morning with an appetite to learn how to love even mm-hmm. those that are difficult to love. We ask you to help us to walk by the Spirit and to find someone this week that we have avoided, that we have disliked, that have, we've had a grudge with, and help us, Lord, to pretend so that this fruit of love will manifest itself in small ways and may your spirit continue to help us in all things. Amen and amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.